0: This edition of The Wellness Prescription is brought to you by Healthy Planet, your source to healthy living. Welcome, everyone. This is The Wellness Prescription on 1059 The Region. I'm Dr. Claudia. Thank you all for joining me today. We have all heard the saying, you are what you eat. If this is true, we should be choosing foods that will make us more energetic healthier for longer and also happier. But what does that actually mean? You are what you eat. How do we know what to eat? My guest today is Dr. Uma nedu She is not only a professionally trained chef, she is also a psychiatrist. She has found her niche in nutritional psychiatry and is the founder and director of the first hospital-based nutritional psychiatry service in the United States. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me, Dr. Claudia. It's great to meet you and to talk to you. I am so excited because I read your book and I've done a lot of research about you. I think it is so fascinating that you've been able to combine psychiatry and nutrition. How did you discover this relationship between the food we eat and cook and
1: psychiatry? In part, this stems from my childhood and how I was raised around um, healthy, delicious food, watching my grandmother prepare food from scratch and pick vegetables in the garden, literally. So that was something I absorbed from my environment, but from my grandparents, because I spent my daytime with them when my mom was in medical school. But then my grandparents would also teach me yoga and meditation. And culturally, you know, there were members of my family who were not only allopathic physicians, but Ayurvedic practitioners. Cut to you know, when I began studying psychiatry, I kept wondering why are we prescribing medications that have several side effects while they are also life-saving? And why aren't we asking about nutrition and lifestyle? Um, And that really brought me to think more deeply about this. Not only did I feel that it was missing, I was starting to make the connection between the fact that people may have symptoms on account of how they were feeling, but also how they were eating. That began my interest to delve further.
0: But you also talk about six
1: pillars of nutritional psychiatry. What are they? Some of the pillars that I talk about in um, my work are, for example, be whole, eat whole. So it's the 80-20 rule. And what this is, is have enough flexibility to enjoy birthday cake on your birthday if you wish. But for 80% of the time, your diet is really focused on whole foods, real foods that uh, you need, that your body needs. Another principle is eat the rainbow. And I know you've heard this before, but the truth is that the rich plant polyphenols in the colorful vegetables or berries that you might eat, like anthocyanins in blueberries or carotenoids in carrots, these actually interact with the gut microbes and form very positive breakdown substances in our gut that also help our body and our mind leafy greens. You know, I often get the eye roll when I talk about salads, but the truth is that leafy greens are rich in folate. Low folate levels is also associated with a low mood. So adding in the leafy greens just to your everyday foods are very important as a side dish, as a salad. Another principle uh, and pillar is tapping into your body intelligence. And what this is, is I would like people to really pay attention to how they feel when they eat something and to start to make that connection for example tapping into how you feel when you consume a beverage or a food becomes important and that is really largely based on the fact that each of our microbiome is so unique another principle and pillar is consistency and balance are the key so this is more of a marathon and not a sprint you you want to be doing these uh, performing these habits consistently Sticking with these, the 80 20 rule, all the principles I managed, are really going to help you over time. And the last pillar that I think is super important is avoid triggering foods. And what I mean by that is there are several foods that actually people associate with their waistline, weight gain, family history of type 2 diabetes or hypertension or cardiac disease even. And many of these foods um, also trigger mental health symptoms. So staying away or keeping a limit on how much of those foods you consume is important too. And in my book, This Is Your Brain on Food, what I do is I go through the different conditions and in different as symptom clusters and mental health conditions. I talk about the foods to try to stay away from.
0: And I noticed also that you talk a lot about um, anxiety and food. Most people are unaware this is a pandemic in itself. That you know, anxiety is elevated in our population, and we can help to control it through the foods we eat and also through the foods that we're avoiding. So let's let's dive into that a little bit. What would be some of the foods that we should be? eliminating or avoiding for the most part, and then the ones that we should be including?
1: Sure. So, you know, one of the things that has happened with the pandemic is that processed food sales in the United States were increased from the beginning of the pandemic in 2020 and have continued to remain on all time high. So what that is telling us is that people are turning to more packaged processed foods than healthy whole foods. And this is a good reminder to us that those packaged, processed, ultra-processed foods, which have a lot of preservatives, um, colorants, dyes, food stabilizers, food thickeners, um, are not necessarily the best for our mental health. So just trying to cut back, it's hard for us to avoid a processed food, let's face it. But finding a a better version of a food, looking at the sodium and the sugar content, making sure there's enough fiber and choosing those over the ones that are highly sugared, have a ton of um, high fructose corn syrup or sodium and other things. So, you know, that's that's a big one. Another one for anxiety is I mentioned body intelligence. Studies have shown that keeping caffeine consumption in coffee to less than 400 milligrams a day can actually be okay in someone with anxiety, but the truth is that you have to pay attention to body intelligence. Another one is alcohol. It's about moderation. There are some some benefits in certain research and certain bodies of research as to the benefits of alcohol in certain conditions. But for the most part, if you consume alcohol, be cautious about the amount that you consume. Consume it earlier in the evening, then leaning on it to help you sleep because that can drive anxiety as well and make sure that you stay hydrated. Another one is artificial sweeteners. Now, people may be surprised by this, but a lot of um, the older sweeteners like aspartame, saccharin, sucralose, and in the instance of anxiety, even stevia, despite it being a natural sweetener, it actually can drive anxiety. So be aware of those as well. Two other groups of foods to be careful about are these sort of unhealthy fats. So the trans fats, the types of fats in, in uh, processed and shelf-stable baked goods uh, hydrogenated. Those types of things are not great for our anxiety. And very lastly, highly processed foods And even if they're not so processed, the ones that have a ton of added sugar, and sometimes these can be savory foods. So it could be ketchup, could be store-bought pasta sauce, could be salad dressings that have a ton of added sugar and you don't even realize. And then processed vegetable oils, because these are often used in fast food restaurants to save costs. These are very pro-inflammatory to your body. So you want to be careful of these. And what I like to remind people is it's not just about their waistline, it can actually impact their mental health. I really like that you focus on the body intelligence. I think
0: that is a huge, very important way to help us understand our body and understand the foods we eat and how they affect us. I do try to encourage my own patients to be aware of the foods that might be triggering them because as you mentioned, something that might trigger me may not be as triggering for you. So keeping a log or um, just being aware that if you're going to eat fast food because, you know, we live in a life in a world where sometimes we're social and we're eating things that, you know, 20% of the time we're having things that we shouldn't be, but just being aware of how that makes you feel. And I find even in my own experience, I know what's going to trigger me. So I'm very wary of how much of it I'm going to eat and when I'm going to eat it, even though some of them are my favorite foods. I'm just also very cautious.
1: You're absolutely right. Um, it, one of the things that I think is critical is paying attention to body intelligence, um, being flexible when you need to be, but also appreciating that we need to have that healthy balance in our microbiome. So the more that we you know, consume, say, a fast food diet, and if we're doing that all the time, it over time may develop um, and cause inflammation in the gut microbiome, which over time becomes problematic to development of certain conditions like leaky gut, intestinal permeability. Um, but at the same time, you know, I think it's about including, for the most part, as many of the foods that we know are good for us and always trying to include them in a given day, in a given meal. An easy hack for people to pay attention to is just lean into those plant-rich foods, like the vegetables, the berries, the beans, nuts, seeds, lentils, legumes, healthy whole grains, because the fiber from those are very healthy for a gut microbiome. It's about finding that balance and tapping into the easy things that you can do that make um, make your body but also your brain healthier.
0: And I like that you mentioned that it is easy to find things to, you know, fulfill your appetite during the day, whether it's nuts and seeds, those things satisfy cravings, they make you feel full, and at least they're providing good nutrients that your body is going to use when it needs it. So I think that's a really important point to note, that it actually is
1: quite easy to make healthy choices. Planning is all that's involved. Like I find on days that, you know, if I have to get into, go into work on some days and I'm, I've rushed out of the house without. My lunch bag, without my snacks, I can have I can I can have a difficult day because it's less easy to find those options where I work. So you know, having a little bit of planning maybe on the weekend, if you are going into the office now, or maybe you're hybrid, or maybe even if you're working from home, I really feel that when you plan a few healthy snacks, you've stocked up your fridge with healthy options you're less likely to go and find the cookie in the other part of your kitchen or the the piece of cake that's there, whatever it is.
0: That's so true. I know. And if you don't let yourself get to the point where you're hangry instead of just hungry, you'll, you'll have time to make those healthier choices. That's such a good point. When it comes to Alzheimer's disease, there are nutritional considerations that can
1: help. Is this correct? Yes. Uh, so we don't have a cure for Alzheimer's, but we know that one of the underlying sort of mechanisms is neuroinflammation. One of the things I want people to understand about cognitive disorders and Alzheimer's is one of the types of dementia. It's not just a disease of the elderly. It's not a disease of our parents, our grandparents, our older aunts and uncles, or older friends. Our brain may have subtle changes that are not symptomatic even now. Nothing may happen to those changes unless we kind of have triggering foods and eat eat a diet that is more prone to developing inflammation and neuroinflammation. One of the ways to think about offsetting this is to have that balance in the foods that you're eating and, and more options for healthier foods. The MIND diet, which was researched by the late Martha Claire Morris and her her group, really talks about, um, it's, a, it's really a comprehensive eating plan that has been shown to help Um, help with a healthy memory. It really leans into those leafy green vegetables, colorful plant foods, berries, nuts, olive oil, whole grains, fish, beans, poultry, and red wine. And it's something that consistently shows good evidence. So just having those foods as part of your diet become quite important. Um, Olive oil is protective and is thought to be helpful as one of the fats that you use um, in in your preparation, herbs and spices, turmeric with a pinch of black pepper, cinnamon, saffron, rosemary, ginger, and sage have all um, been shown to have some benefit to our memory, to our cognitive uh, condition. And these can be easily included by really making sure that you flavor up your food with these types of spices. So, you know, the thing to know about turmeric, it is activated and made about 2000% more bioavailable to the brain and body by the addition of black pepper, just a pinch. And it's the pepperine from black pepper that activates the curcumin in turmeric. So that's an easy hack that any one of us can do if we're eating turmeric and if you you know if you're leaning into a new food a new supplement a new spice um, just make sure that your doctor knows what you're doing as well food really is
0: medicine when we come back brain foods for kids and dr nadu's book this is your brain on food this is the wellness prescription on 105.9 the region stay with us more with dr claudia and the wellness prescription when we come back The Wellness Prescription with Dr. Claudia on 1059 The Region. You're listening to 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to The Wellness Prescription. Before the break, Dr. Naidu and I were discussing nutritional psychiatry and its relevance to anxiety and mood and even Alzheimer's. However, brain food is important for us at every age. Can you tell us how important it is to include brain foods for our children?
1: It's super important because the first few years of life set the foundation for thinking, learning and brain health. So the foods that children are fed and the behaviors they are taught towards food, so their relationship with food, are very very effective in promoting their future physical and mental health. Um, this has been shown in research, and it is particularly impactful around their cognition, their temperament, their motor skills, as well as their language development. Studies have shown That starting babies off with a nutritious and balanced diet in infancy is key to promoting long term health and their well being. And you know, some of the guidances that I give families or parents around foods, but the best brain foods for kids is to introduce foods to children that are diverse. We know that the biodiversity of uh, plant foods helps the biodiversity of the gut microbiome. They're rich in nutrients. They support growth and development. But I also like parents to include a child when they're at an age that they can appreciate it in the food uh, in the uh, that's it that's kept at home. So whether it's helping with simple things around food preparation, picking out colorful vegetables or berries or fruit in the supermarket, um, you know, helping them be part of the conversation from early on can help to influence their food behaviors, their relationship with food in a healthy way. And what are some of
0: the things that we should definitely include in our children's diet, and even supplementation? What should we ensure that they're having? you know, on a daily basis or extremely regularly?
1: Foods that are rich in omega-3 fatty acids. We've heard about fatty fish like wild-caught salmon. There are short-chain omega-3s, the ALAs, and things like um, nuts and seeds, walnuts, um, algal oil supplements as well. Uh, So say a child is uh, being raised plant-based or vegetarian, that Would be a good idea if to consider, you know, something that would replace an omega three fatty acid from seafood if they don't consume it, and to speak to the pediatrician about whether a supplementation of algal oil, which is made from algae, uh, would be appropriate for that child. Now that would be a decision between the parents and the physician, but just something to remember. Say that say if there's a dietary restriction of some kind, then there are foods that are rich in vitamin A, vitamin B twelve, and vitamin D as well as iron and folate. So what I want parents to be able to do is start to include these in, um, in the foods that they eat. Now, one of the things that, um, one of the vitamins that comes up as super important for brain development are all the B vitamins. So there's several of them and including them in, in the foods that, that the child is eating becomes uh, super, super important. We need to discuss our
0: teenagers, because I find that they are the ones who probably eat, um, I don't want to say the worst diet, but they have, you know, they're out more, they're social more, they tend to be going to fast food places more often. How do we encourage them, or as parents, how do we ensure that they're getting nutrients?
1: It would have to be something that they would buy into, whether it's a healthy habit or whether it's, um, you know, making sure that they remain active, are at a healthy weight without trying to induce or, you know, create the scenario of an eating disorder, which is also a sensitive age, something to be careful of. I do feel like it starts a little bit earlier than with our teenage years. I feel like bringing them into the conversation earlier in their lives is important. Having them be part of a healthy, uh, healthy meals, healthy habits, whilst understanding you know, people may want a piece of cake on their but there's nothing wrong with that. But it goes back to that 80-20 rule, um, vegetables, having lots of salads, having, you know, healthy clean proteins when they're available. So if a family eats seafood, healthy salmon, if a family eats dairy, you know, probiotic rich yogurts and adding fresh berries to them with some cinnamon for sweetening rather than a fruited yogurt. I think it begins with that conversation and even teaching teenagers to pack healthy snacks, to have a sustainable water bottle that they can, you know, they even sell um, water bottles now which come with their own little filter. So if they're on the go, on the run, playing sport, running around, they want to filter their water, they can have water on the go. Hydration is so important for the brain, for the body to, you know, fend off things. I've had individuals present with panic or anxiety when they are dehydrated. Those same habits that we may apply to ourselves, packing healthy snacks, keeping a water bottle, involving them in the food conversation become important too. And helping them understand that, you know, if, if what they're consuming is a is a processed fast food, why that may not be healthy for them. So maybe they're going out with their friends on a Friday and Everyone's eating, you know, out at a burger place that night. And that's completely fine. But if that's how they're eating every night, then, you know, having that conversation with them about their overall health, the development of their brain, their physical health, all that becomes important too.
0: I really love um, how you describe the gut-brain romance. I mean, I've heard it described in so many different ways, but this really is a romance. So it is the essence of our health. Can you explain the connection? I know you touched on it earlier, but I think it's a point we really need to drive home for
1: listeners. The gut-brain romance. One of my favorite. it's the first chapter of my book, and, and that's a good. there's a good reason for that. I do think that one of the mechanisms in nutritional psychiatry, which is the work that I'm really bringing forward um, in the world is that we now know a lot more about the gut-brain connection. One and a half to two decades ago, we were not talking in medical school or on our classes in uh, physiology or even anatomy or biochemistry about the gut-brain connection. Hippocrates, eons ago, the father of allopathic medicine, you know, he motioned to this, but the science had to follow. So we now know that the gut and brain um, are connected. Anatomically, they arise from the exact same cells in the human embryo. They then divide up to form the two organs in the body. Then they remain connected by the 10th cranial nerve, which is the vagus nerve, which I like to call a two-way text messaging system, which allows for chemical messages like teenagers you know, chatting back and forth all the time. What's also important to, to understand is that There's the two-way messaging system, but we often talk about selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, medications like Prozac or Zoloft. But it turns out that about 90 to 95% of the receptors and the production of some of those things like serotonin um, are actually made in the gut. So they do Um, exist and are made in the brain but they're also made in the gut so just understanding that we start to put these pieces together where we understand that the gut and brain are connected the position of the receptors where's the serotonin being made this two-way text messaging system and it starts to help us understand that this two-way connection is also like a romance, because there are good days and bad days, as I like to say. So I like to say that, you know, our days that we're eating those healthy salads and healthier foods, the connection is, is better because the breakdown products of food are healthier for the gut microbiome and the microbes. On a day that you're only, you know, going to the fast food joints, what happens is the breakdown products of those foods are less healthy and more inflammation producing in the gut. And when that happens, you know, it's not it's it's not such a romantic day for everyone. So it's it's a it's a good way to get the message across. I really like that. And it really does
0: describe it perfectly. It is a romance because it can be on and off, and it just depends on how much effort you're putting into this relationship. So that's a great analogy. Now, before we talk about your book, um, which is incredible by the way, you had your own health scare several years back. Was that what propelled you and encouraged you to really, you know, spread this information on the Importance of food and health and psychiatry
1: and all of the above. It was one of two very big aha moments in my life. One had been earlier on in my career when a a reaction from a patient really helped me hone in on the incredible importance of interpreting nutrition information to an individual. And when a patient or a person has the information and the knowledge shared with them, and they can understand a change that they can make, that's a very powerful tool. But the second and an equally big aha moment happened when I was first diagnosed with breast cancer. And, um, you know, being a physician, I knew the side effects of the medications that I was facing, so it was very scary. And for the first time in my life, I found myself anxious. And uh, on the other side of the relationship, being the patient was very different for me. So one i think the thing that really deepened my my, com- my my commitment to this work and my mission was that i unexpectedly became my own patient meaning uh, not only were the roles reversed for my treatment, but I was trying to figure out for myself. You know, I'm feeling so anxious. What do I? What do I do? What? What can I do? And, you know, when you when you're stressed, you don't often realize some of the things that you're supposed to be doing every day, which is that I wasn't leaning into. Things I was telling my patients every day, why not lean further into how I'm eating, you know, using the spices that I'm so used to, having the, you know, the golden milk that my grandmother had taught me as a child, which um, which was important. So on the first day of my treatment was when um, this aha moment happened. I was literally boiling some hot water to make my morning um, cup of uh, golden milk, and, and I infused the tea ahead of that. Um, but that's when I realized, you know, why am I not doing what I talk about all the time? And that moment changed my how I handled my treatment. It also changed the fact that I Really was practicing every single day what I was telling my patients to do, even more working harder to do that, and it really made a difference because it showed me the power of managing your uh, mindfulness, your own health through nutrition, um, and having some control over it. And it made a very big difference uh, in my treatment. My doctors would even ask me, you know, what did you bring? To, you know, what did you bring to to your chemo? chemo today and what are you eating because you you know you're doing phenomenally well you are not experiencing the side effects so I saw I saw the actual impact uh in my life and while I wouldn't wish that upon anyone I think what it proved to me was that this works if we truly pay attention to those pillars um this can make a very powerful difference Dr.
0: Naidu, I cannot thank you enough for joining me today. Your book is incredible. It's called This Is Your Brain on Food. Can you please tell listeners where they can get the book, how they can learn more about you, uh, and possibly find you on social media?
1: Thank you so much for inviting me. i enjoyed speaking to you very much, Dr. Claudia. So um, if anyone is interested in getting a free chapter of my book, you can go to this link, gutbrainromance.com, and you can actually... Um, download a free chapter to check it out. Um, it's actually my favorite chapter of the book and what you talked about, Dr. Claudia, the gut brain romance. But you can also find me on social media at D R U M A N A I D O O, which is at Dr. Uma Umanaidu, where I post on educational information and research all the time. Uh, check out my website because you can sign up for my newsletter where every week I send not only tell you what I'm up to and what media I've done so that you can read the current information, you can also see you know, just get some good uh, weekly information. And that's at umanaidumd.com. So check me out there. My book, This Is Your Brain on Food is found wherever books um, can be purchased online at your local bookstore. And I hope you'll check it out because it's really about the mission behind the work that I do and spreading the movement of nutritional psychiatry to help people improve their mental well-being.
0: It's a must read. You can find me on Instagram at Claudia underscore Macchiella or my website, ClaudiaMachiela.com. That's my show for this week. If you missed it, go to 1059theregion.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Amazon Music and Audible. I'm Dr. Claudia. Thank you for listening. I hope this helps you live your best life. The Wellness Prescription was brought to you by Healthy Planet. Order online at HealthyPlanetCanada.com or go online to find a location nearest you.